1985, uh, I graduated college. I was 21, 22 years old. And like most people uh, at that time, you realize that you've been in a school for three quarters of your life. You've been in a classroom. Uh, and so you got to get out. You want to find out something about yourself. You want to see the real world. Enough of the books. Um, and so I decided that I would do that. I mean, I had been to Canada, but it doesn't really count. So uh, I chose to go to Europe. And I, I made plans to be there for seven weeks, which is a long time to be making a solo trip. But I, I figured I would want to stay in a place really get to know a city, really get to know it. You don't want to just be that guy looking out the bus window, going through the Alps, uh, always with a flash, like those are going to come back really good. Uh, <laughs> I figured I would go and actually stay in a place and, and kind of camp out in these places and watch the people and, and get, a, get a real feeling. So um, I flew over and flew to Dublin, Ireland, and I got there very early in the morning, I remember. And the trip had been exciting, you know, just the travel revs you up and you're, you're taking in new things all the time. And I realized I hadn't thought too much about lodging. Uh, I had a year rail pass, but I figured it would be really, really easy to just find a place to stay. So you have to have a card if you're going to stay at these sort of very clean youth hostels. And I never joined that little group, so I had to find the real seedy hostels. And uh, I figured that would be fine. So I ended up at this independent youth hostel, and there's this little, you know, Irish kid behind the, the counter and the big cage where everybody locks their stuff, and he told me that I was, I, could, I was welcome to sit down and just chill, but they couldn't sort of formally check me in for another couple of hours. It was just that early in the morning. So I go into this room where there are all these ratty couches facing each other, and I sit down, and there's one other person in the room. And this guy is European, man. He's, he's got like the Gunther the Hitman kind of look on his face. I'm like, this guy's got to be German, right? He's got the members only jacket, like the little, the little useless epaulets right here. That <laughs> and uh, I don't know what else. He had like the really groovy boots on or like Doc Martens or something. He looked very German. And even the way he held his cigarette. Like, <laughs> And so that whole phenomenon of being like in an elevator with someone uh, and there, there's just two of you and you, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable, right? Especially when you're young and you don't know, you're not old enough to know, you can just blow that person off. <laughs> you don't need to say anything. So I was in this room and I thought, well, I, wow, this is not uncomfortable, but hey. And I didn't have to do anything because I was reading one of my favorite authors at the time, Herman Hesse. And I was reading this book, Narcissus und Goldmund, and it was really great, right? So I'm like, this would be a perfect time to read my heavy German shit, right? And I open it up, and, ah, Narcissus und Goldmund. Sehr gut. You know, and so began this conversation, and I met this guy named Martin Zila. And uh, Martin is a very tall guy. He definitely has, you know, the very Germanic expressions. But he's got this great sense of humor. And we started talking, and I said, look, man, I can't be checked into this place for a while. And he goes, and I'm going to sit here for a very long time, because he was waiting for his ferry to leave in the evening. He also had miscalculated something. So um, <laughs> we decided we'd spend the day walking around Dublin and going to the pubs and do the thing and just kind of, you know, start drinking. 
And we did that. We did that. And I remember at the end, if Martin had to leave, I was going to go back and kind of get into the whole Dublin thing. And I remember Martin saying, look, Kurt, you have the URL pass. You would probably be seeing everything through a window, yeah? You would be going through the stations and tracks and trains. That's okay. But if you want to, if you want to come and rendezvous with me in Dusseldorf, that would be good. I will take you down to the Dordogne. So I'll stop the accent, but what he was saying was <laughs> there's this part of France that this guy loved, and it's, uh, it's called the Dordogne River, Dordogne, and it's in south-central France, not the uh, dirty, rotten scoundrels kind of, you know, <laughs> France with the, the beach stuff. This is, like, really in these beautiful prehistoric, like, primeval river areas of France with, you know, caves and, and, and cliffs and stuff like that. So I thought, that sounds cool. You just invited an American to do something very cool. So I figured, be careful, because we might take you up on that. So I had a great time traveling through other parts, uh, mostly in northern Europe. And as the weeks went on and it got closer to the time to rendezvous with Martin, I thought, I'm going to do this. I do want to see that part of Europe in that way. So I hooked up with him. Next thing I know, I'm in a Kubelwagen, which is this, it's like a knockoff German staff car that VW makes. It's, uh, it's, they called it Jeep's The Thing here. You remember The Thing? It's like the most ridiculous angular putt-putt machine ever made. And we're going down the Autobahn and we're heading down to the Dordogne. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing that flat level land. I can see it right now. It is beautiful. The hills are rolling, but they're long like they've been stretched out. And there are those round hay bales. You're like, Renoir, Monet, all that stuff they painted. It really exists. (laughs) You know, you're really seeing France. You stop and pull over for petrol, and there'd be a guy selling cognac. I mean, it was just so authentic. And you're living it. So I love this. And we got down to the Dordogne area. And it became greener down near this river and uh, forested in places, lots of beautiful farms, people with the black chapeaux on and the real, real, you know, the bread on the bicycle kind of posters. <laughs> That's where they're taken, man. I'm sure of it. So <laughs> we get down there and Martin says we will be camping. And one of the best ways to really see the Dordogne is to see it from the river. So growing up in upstate New York, I was a little water bug. Finger Lakes are all over the place. I know my way around a canoe and water. And one of the things that we learn is that my dad always told us, if you're swimming or if you're out on the water and you hear that lightning, man, get off that water. It'll kill you, blow you up from the inside out. You know, <laughs> one of these things where you're like, yes, you even hear thunder, you might die soon, so get up off. Get <laughs> so, it's a nice day, but it had been a very wet summer, 1985. I do remember that. They had all these floods. Europe is still prone to that stuff. They'll have these crazy, moist summers. And this was one of them. So the water's running high, but we're fine. We, we rented this really long uh, aluminum canoe. <laughs> so there's Mark, because I was heavier, I'm in the back, and then there's this tall German guy in the front, like, pointing to things, talking. And I can't hear him, because he's facing it, you know what I mean? So I'm just... And I was like, this is beautiful. So we're going down this river, and uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, 
all of a sudden on both sides of the river the land starts to rise up and pretty soon we're in that social studies v-shaped kind of valley right there and that water is running fast and those walls are steep but as we go you would see not only you know Jacques was here '62, where some guy had spray painted in some little cave but you'd also see these beautiful petroglyphs and just things that blew my mind it was just they're, they're all right there you got this sense that many civilizations had lived along this riverway over time. And all of a sudden, the drops start coming down. And in our sort of vanishing horizon line, because we're in this sort of you know V-shaped river valley, I could see that it was darkening very quickly. It wasn't too long before the water was pelting us, and all of a sudden, there's a, a lot of lightning, uh, a lot of thunder. And I thought, this sucks, you know. Um, I, Martin turned around and it looked like he might have heard my dad's, you know. <laughs> and so we started to paddle kind of harder to stay with this river and we had to really get, you know, use some skill um, to move faster than the, the current was already moving. And we realized, you know, let's, we have to get off this water. The, the lightning is up there and it could just come down and, and nail us. So. Up ahead, we see this very narrow sandbar, and it was probably about twice the length of the canoe itself, with just low scrub on it. And I, I still remember we, we jumped out of the canoe, and water was already coming up over the gunnels when you're moving that fast, and we grabbed the crossbars and just pulled it up onto this thing. And we sat there, and lightning, and so we flipped it over, and we crawled underneath it. So, so now... Now there's Martin, like, smoking cigarettes <laughs> under the canoe, and I became a smoker. <laughs> we went through, like, an entire pack of House Bergman cigarettes, and to this day, it's, like, the only thing I'll smoke. <laughs> and Martin's looking up, and I remember he said, he did say this word, which was one of the early vocab words I took in German language class. He goes, Boza, which means wicked. <laughs> so I thought, wow, this is so cool that he would use it. Look up at the sky or the top of the canoe and say, <laughs> uh, here's the great thing that happened. And really the whole gist of this story is that um, I had taken a chance to sort of make a friend and just sort of get to, uh, to know this guy and really didn't know him that well yet. And now we found ourselves underneath a canoe in a lightning storm in France, having to kill time, wondering if we were going to be fried at any minute. And we were like two kids in the backyard sleepover, like under the sleeping bag with the flashlight, looking at comics kind of thing. We were face to face on our bellies, just smoking cigarettes, and we had all this time to kill. Um, and so we exchanged all sorts of information about one another. It was really a neat scene. Um, he found out that I wore American-style tidy-whities. And, and Martin said, no, the ventless European brief is better. And I was like, ventless? I still don't understand not having a vent in your underwear. But on the other end of the spectrum, we learned that... Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I learned that, he, uh, that he, he felt kind of alone in the world and that he had this life since a, an early teen in Dusseldorf with just a sister and, uh, who, who was not too close to him and his father was like a, a very strict Lutheran minister that he couldn't identify with and um, a mother who had taken off to live in India at an early age and you know, 
But we really, you know, I shared with him the death of grandparents just a couple of years before uh, heading out on this trip, and we got to know one another. Um, well, the lightning, which terrified us both, finally stopped, and I remember we put in to the river and floated on down our way to Swiak, which was the town where we were going to, you know, disembark, and uh, we didn't talk that much. I remember the rest of the trip was pretty quiet, and we didn't need to. I mean, to this day, I've not really debriefed with this guy. Uh, I still don't like lightning, but I have to tell you that Martin Zila, which I found means Martin's soul, which is really kind of cool, um, he is uh, one of my best friends. And I have gone to Europe twice since, specifically to hook up with this guy and have more adventures. Um, and probably the greatest thing is that he was able to come all the way across continental U.S. and come out to Portland when I got married out here in 2007. And uh, everybody still thought he looked like a hitman. <laughs> like, who is that German guy? German, right? So that's my tale about how you can find friendship in some of the oddest places, even during a tragedy. So. <laughs>